Hi, this is Skip Stewart, Vice President, Chief Improvement Officer with Baptist Memorial Healthcare, and this is another episode of Connecting the Dots. Hi, everybody. This is H.F. Mason. I'm a General Surgeon and Chief Medical Officer at Baptist Memorial Hospital, DeSoto. Well, today we are so incredibly honored to have Dr. John Toussaint on the uh, podcast. And Dr. Toussaint, for those that maybe don't know you or don't know about your work, uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, thanks for having me, Skip and uh, Dr. Mason. We, I, I've been a student of uh, what I call organizational excellence uh, for now close to 20 years, uh, actually 21 years. And uh, I was the uh, I was a CEO of a large uh, integrated health system in Wisconsin for a number of years, as well as chief medical officer before I uh, took the CEO job. Uh, and I now am a uh, I'm an internist, by the way. I now run a not-for-profit education institute called Catalysis, which we really work with uh, health systems and executive teams around the world to apply the thinking uh, and the principles of, of organizational excellence. So that's what I've been doing for the last few years and have had uh, the uh, privilege of working with uh, great executive teams and physician teams uh, around the world from California to South Africa to Finland to you name it. So anyway, glad to be here. Dr. Toussaint, uh, you mentioned that you were an internist and you know, I always, when we have physicians like yourself on the show, I always like to hear about their journey into uh, process improvement and quality and, and operational excellence. And how did you go from medical school to residency? Uh, I'm sure you practiced for a while. And, and, and how did you get into the role that you're in now? I... Uh practiced for 20 years. I had a, uh, uh, a general internal medicine practice. Basically, I was a, con a consultative general internist, did a lot of uh, endocrinology as well. I decided uh, a few years into my practice that the practice itself was uh, really, I enjoyed it, but I, I needed more stimulation uh, than that. And so I started to look at actually our own practice. We had five uh, internist in, in my practice and and uh, many many years ago long before I knew anything about organizational excellence I, I asked our team our, our doctors you know how do you think we're actually doing from a quality standpoint now this is 25 years ago or so so long time ago and they said well you know each doctor said well I'm, I'm the best at what I do I mean uh, you know I, I trained at the, the greatest university in the world which you know we all did uh, and we were all very uh, accomplished physicians, and so you shouldn't second guess, you know, the fact that I practice quality medicine. So I said, all right, well, what I'd like to do is actually measure in our own practice uh, how many of our coronary artery disease patients are actually meeting their LDL goal. Now, this is 25 years ago, okay? Wow. And uh, guess what the number was? 23%. Now, this is in the old days of paper charts, and I had all these charts stacked up in my office, and I was going through them, and, and I went to the, our, our meeting uh, after I'd done this work, and I said, okay, we're at 23%. 
And each doctor said, there's no possible way I'm only at 23%. You know, you've got, the data's got to be wrong. So, you know, I took all the charts for each of the doctor. I put them in the, their office. I said, okay, well, then you go through this and figure it out. Sure enough, the number was 23%. So we did actually, after we agreed on the data, we said, all right, so what are we going to do about this? It's a big problem. And uh, we actually uh, hired a nurse that called each patient and got them in to get their cholesterol levels checked. And then we gave her the, the, the protocols for which to change the medication so that we finally would get these patients to their, to their goal. You know, and once, so the point was once we put a process in place to actually mm -hmm. achieve a certain goal, we were able to achieve that goal. And by, you know, six months we had, I don't know, 70 or 80% of our patients to go. That was my, that, that was the first time that I recognized that we got some problems in our practices and they're not, they're not physician people problems, they're process problems. Uh, the fact that we were at 23% was a process problem because we were doing, you know, as physicians, we were taking care of all kinds of other things and maybe the LDL wasn't number one on the list that day, right? So unless we create a process to help us under, to help us achieve our performance, we're not gonna achieve that. So subsequent to that, then I went on to get involved in administration, became chief medical officer, where we did a lot of great quality stuff, but none of it sustained. And so because of that, I got mad. And when the job of CEO opened up, I, I applied, not thinking I would get it. Uh, but they liked my ideas of, you know, let's build operational excellence or organizational excellence into the organization. And uh, and so that's what we did. We back then we had to steal it from Toyota and from AutoLeave and from other companies because nobody was doing it in healthcare in the year 2000 when I became CEO. But you know my my role just changed over time because I was interested in trying to improve overall mm -hmm. performance uh, for our patients. That, that's really great. Uh, our our chief operating officer, Dr. Paul DePriest, who I, I think you've met. Yes. Or, or, and, you know, he we've had him on the podcast and in different settings. He said many times that that healthcare, when it comes to operational excellence, is lagging, you know, 40, 50, maybe even 60, 60 years behind other sectors. Now, now we are improving and, and, and we're taking steps toward that. But one thing you mentioned is sustainability. And, you know, I know I know you, you talk a lot about uh, behaviors. And a lot of healthcare organizations, they, they spend a lot of money on hiring consultants and they spend a lot of money on tools and getting people trained up and, and, and getting people black belts and, and whatever. And they, they may get a little traction for a while, but then it just fizzles out. And, and tell us a little bit about um, why that happens why these organizations start off, you know, just hot, red hot, and then just kind of fizzle out. I think most of us were intrigued when we first learned of this methodology. It is a methodology uh, of building organizational excellence. Uh, we were intrigued with the tools because there are a lot of interesting tools that when you apply them to uh, processes, you can improve the processes. And so most start with tools because it, the behavior part is, first of all, hasn't been emphasized enough in my mind. This is a social technical system. 
um, and the social side is the behaviors. The technical side are are the tools and and, and some of the systems. But the the behaviors are what I have found now. We just wrote a book about this called Becoming the Change. Uh, mm-hmm. Are is are the most important yeah, <laughs> are the most important uh, things. And 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 there's five key behavioral dimensions that we have found now working with hundreds of different health systems that are important. The first one is willingness to change. Now, it's one thing to say I'm willing to change. It's another thing to actually be doing something about that. And so I if I if I come and 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 investigate, uh, you know, your organization and 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 the leaders, have they actually uh, put time into their calendar for self reflection? Because we are our best and worst, you know, um, uh, assessors. And so what I want to see in your calendar is a time for self-reflection. And that would mean to me then you're truly willing to change. Second dimension is curiosity. So what we're interested here is that, you know, it's really around, um, can you go out to where the work is being done and ask good questions? What I've learned is the most, one of the most important behaviors is learning to ask good questions which means we start with what and how, not who and why. So if we're curious, we're gonna go out and try to ask good questions so that we can learn what's going on. And we're gonna listen carefully back to Edgar Schein's work around humble inquiry. We're gonna actually empathetically listen to what people are trying to tell us rather than waiting to talk. Listening is not waiting to talk. Listening is actually trying to deeply understand what people are trying to tell you. One of the other dimensions is is um, uh, is humility. So, you know, leading with humility is an important activity, which means again, uh, you you are you you are going out to where the work is done, and you are trying to learn what's going on there. And it's one thing as a physician, you know, when you go in as a doctor, you're you're part of that frontline team. But when you go in as an administrator, you're not. And so leading humbly means going in to see what the frontline team is really trying to do, what the barriers are, you know, so that you more deeply understand, you know, how you can how you can remove barriers to improve the care process and to make the environment better for the people that do the work. The fourth thing is is perseverance. So as we start to change ourselves, we need some help. And what what we need is a coach. Uh, mentoring, a buddy, somebody that will give us honest feedback about how we're interacting with people and what people's reactions to us are as we interact. Are we asking good questions? I've had uh, uh, you know buddies go in and write down the questions I I asked so that then I can review them and say, boy, that that question wasn't all that great. Um, and then the fifth dimension is is uh, self discipline. So Jim Collins has written a lot about self discipline. You know, physicians generally have pretty good self-discipline, but when we're talking about building an improvement culture, what that means is, do you have standard work for your day in which you're going to really, uh, um, that's going to be focused on either coaching or learning about, uh, coaching others or learning about what's going on in the organization so you can better understand what your role needs to be. It's very interesting that that you talk about asking good questions because as a as a surgeon who's not very far time wise removed from the front lines, you know, I go in an exam room 
and I'm asking questions, but the whole time I, I feel like a, I feel like a, a prosecuting attorney leading the witness, trying to get to the point that I want. And, and, and now that I'm on the administrative side, you know, I have to watch myself because I'm trying to do that. And I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get the other person to say what I want to hear rather than, you know, having that humility and, and truly asking questions that, that I don't know the answer to and, and trying to, trying to get information, helpful information from, from that individual. And, and, and it's tough. It's a, it's a, it hadn't been a, been an easy, easy journey. The hardest thing about being a good uh, leader in this environment is asking the right question. That's what I've learned. And the, the idea is how do you ask the, the question should be designed so that it unleashes the creativity of the people that you're talking with rather than shutting them down. So what is that question? And it depends on, you know, people's mindset, how far along they are and in, in, in improvement thinking and all those sorts of things, which is why it's so complicated because it's not it's not as simple as, you know, you know, what do you think we should do? Uh, that's not a bad question, by the way. But, uh, you know, again, what we're trying to do is figure out how do we help the uh, the people that do the real work, the value creating work? How do we help them to understand better what should be improved? And uh, our questioning is is part of that process. Oh, yeah. I really like how you say how you said that we need to we need to put time in our calendar every every week to to do self-reflection and how important is that? Because, you know, how important important is it for, let's say you, a CEO of an organization says, okay, we're going to become a lean organization. You know, that he, he dictates that. How important for that, for, is it for that CEO to display lean behavior in his personal life? Can, can you separate the personal from the professional, uh, I'd just like to get your thoughts on that. Not, not that, not that we all need to have cotta boards, you know, up, up all around our house, but, but you know what I'm talking about. Well, I, I you know, I think the leadership responsibility, uh, here is to model the behavior. And so the first thing that has to occur though, is you have to decide what the behaviors are you're going to model. Uh, one of the things I, I wrote, I write a monthly letter and I wrote my letter this, this month. One of the mistakes I made as CEO was I just expected my team to just get this, you know, to, 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 to get it, figure out themselves how to ask good questions, figure out how to go to the place where value is created and, 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 and listen carefully, figure out how to do self-reflection. All those, I, I figured, well, you know, these, these people are smart. They'll figure it out. Not. They didn't figure it out. And the reason is that they didn't have adequate coaching from me. So mm. it's one thing to model the behaviors. It's another thing to coach to those behaviors. And leaders need to be able to do, leaders need to do both. Now, in terms of your question of how this affects your personal life, I think it, it changes every, it changes it the way you think. Because when you start thinking, uh, you know, uh, using Kata or A3 thinking, however you want to describe it, you're now looking at trying to understand what the background and current state of the situation is before jumping to a solution. 
And what I have found in my own life, and, and I think many others have commented the same thing, is when you start to look at things from that perspective, not necessarily, I got the right answer, but I'm trying to understand exactly what's going on here. And I'm trying to understand what the problem is we're actually trying to solve. Uh, that absolutely, you know, uh, floods into the rest of your life. Because uh, now you can't, you can't think about things uh, any other way. But I think the important thing from a professional standpoint is we need to really think about ourselves as leaders, both modeling those behaviors and the behaviors have to be established by your team as to what are those things that we're going to model. But then we also have to act as coaches because people aren't just going to get it. They need to be coached to get it. It's like learning how to play a musical instrument. If you don't have a, a coach, you ain't going to learn. You know, you can yep. read all the books you want. You can listen to all the podcasts you want. You ain't going to learn it. You got to have a teacher. That's what, Sk that's what Skip, I've heard him say it a hundred times. He says, if the learner hasn't learned, you know, the coach, the coach hasn't coached. Um, my oldest son is a second year medical student and, and, you know, medical training, there's so much information that, that we have to absorb and that we have to learn and we have to be able to spit back out and, and just a lot of rote memorization. Do you think that this organizational excellence, quality improvement, do you think it needs to be integrated into, into medical school curriculums more than it has? Because I'm thinking about my, my son as he's coming out, you know, the, 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 the type of medicine that he's going to practice is is going to be a lot different than than it was, you know, 25 years ago when I started. And I, I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Well, I think that there's so much knowledge now, you know, that there's no way you can memorize everything. And frankly, both of you, you know, you and I went to medical school at the time when we did try, you know, memorized everything. And then how much of it did we remember? That's right. So the point is, this stuff is at our fingertips now uh, with electronic health records, with things like Cosmos. Epic has created this incredible database now where you can actually figure out, you know, what what's the best treatment for patients after looking at 200 million different records. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. So to me, the most important thing is learning how is, is understanding how we're going to improve things. You know, what is understanding the processes for improvement. Because first of all, we're never gonna know in our own mind, have all the knowledge, but we do have the knowledge at our fingertips. So once we have the knowledge at our fingertips, how are we gonna use that to improve the existing performance of, of, of the work that we do? Mm -hmm. And you know, I think it's, it's a way different thing than when I went to medical school, now, I think improvement is going to be even more, it is more important than actually memorizing all of this stuff. You don't have to memorize it. It's, it's at your fingertips, you know? So, um, so I, I, I would, you know, I, I'm disappointed that, you know, the improvement thinking hasn't inculcated medical education more than it has. People like Jack Billy at Michigan and, and others have really worked hard in certain academic medical centers to make that happen. But every me academic medical center needs to make that happen. I agree. Dr. Tassant, you know, uh, 
there's so many questions I want to ask. I'm going to try to discipline myself right now. I know that you are on the Shingo Executive Advisory Board, and and I have the honor of uh, being a Shingo examiner. And and you touch on this uh, in your book. I love your new book, Becoming the Change. Can you talk a little bit about as leaders are out there trying to create robust management systems, how should they be thinking about principles and the relationship of those principles with behaviors? Well, I mean, first of all, you know, we have to establish principles. So, I mean, many organizations aren't, aren't at that point. So if we, you know, the, the way I look at the principles Establishing principles is this 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 is the foundation of your management philosophy. So the, my question always is, what is your management philosophy? You know, do you have principles that it's based on, or do you just everybody just get to do whatever they want? So are, there are you know what are the principles, and then what are the behaviors that that you are going to establish that actually then are supported by those principles. So, um, you know, uh, the behaviors of those five dimensions I talked about are, are, are uh, what we know now uh, very, very critical to the, you know, um, to the management execution. And those five dimensions really come from the 10 Shingo principles. So whether it's the 10 Shingo principles or the 14 Toyota principles or the 14 Deming, Deming points, or you know, I know you, you folks have your, your set of principles, that's the beginning of the management philosophy. From there, building the, and, and, and again, it's agreed upon behaviors. It's not the CEO saying, here are the five things, everybody's gotta do it and I'm doing it too. You've gotta have conversation in the organization to come to agreement on what the behaviors are that we're all going to uh, be responsible to each other for. Because once we get an agreement within our team, you know, now we can actually deploy that, right? And we can teach that and we can coach to those behaviors and we can observe those things and we can help people get there. But um, the behaviors are absolutely connected to principles and principles are sort of the universal truths that underlie the management philosophy. Yeah, that's we have the bad Baptist management system, and we have we have eleven guiding principles, and that's one thing that we try to do on this podcast is it's called connecting the dots. We do try to connect those dots. Uh, you know, our, our principles we have we have people principles, we have process principles, and then we have system principles. Mm -hmm. And for instance, you know, the group of cardiologists they they may. Uh, we're, you know, we're doing great work with congestive heart failure readmissions or congestive heart failure mortality, but we want them to realize that, you know, it requires systemic thinking as well to realize that you can't be operating in that silo, uh, that what you do, you know, you need, you need to have cooperation with the radiologist or with whoever, or with the social workers and case managers and, and how we all need to, need to work together. I, th I think in medicine, there's been just too many silos for too long. Well, I'm publishing an article on health affairs next week, which describes um, uh, many, a number of our 
opinions about how and I'm we not picking on the cardiologists for you cardiologists who are listening. Sorry. Right. But, but my paper is about uh, teamwork and how now we, we know there's a lot of evidence, scientific evidence, research evidence that, that, that shows that multidisciplinary teams uh, provide much better care than teams that aren't multidisciplinary. So, I mean, that's certainly been shown in surgery, it's been shown in cardiology, it's been shown in family practice, it's been shown everywhere. So, you know, the, the, the question is, okay, if we're going to work as a team, what are those behaviors that we're going to expect of each other and hold each other responsible for, right? And mm -hmm. that is really important as we build, you know, organizational excellence, because it's about teamwork. And that, you know, this system thinking or systemic thinking, which is one of the principles that you're talking about, that's about teamwork, right? So, so, and we know as physicians that teams do better than individuals. So let's step back and sort of look at the teams, try to figure out, okay, so how are we going to act? And, you know, as cardiologists working across the system with, you know, the, the primary care docs and, and everybody else, how are we as surgeons going to work across the entire hospital enterprise so that we have the ICU doctors and the, you know, the emergency room doctors on the same page with the surgeon, you know, I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the glue that is going to hold, you know, the system together is, is, is building those effective teams. And, and, and when it's working and it's, everything's G-Hall and it, it, man, you know it, and it, it's, it's just, uh, it feels good. Sure well, does. I liked what you said there. That was really, really good. Dr. Desant. Uh Dr. Shine was recently, Edgar Shine was recently sharing with me about, at the end of the day, everything happens through conversation. And when you think on that for a second, that's pretty profound. And then recently I heard Mr. Shingo say, everything is through people. In other words, who does the problem solving? People. Who are the visual controls for? People. And so on and so on and so on. And so what I like that you're saying is that we have to start thinking more deeply about these management systems and the people as well as the technical side. Um, as you reflected back on your leadership, I liked a minute ago when you talked about some of the things that you wish you would have done better when you were in certain leadership roles. How do you, how now that you travel the world, how do you get people to start thinking more deeply about their management system? Um, about what's working well, what isn't working well, what what dots are getting connected. Um, a lot of times I'll see people, they'll get happy because they have a huddle. Well, that's not really the question if you have a huddle. The question is how well is that huddle working? What, what's been your experience, Dr. Tassan, at trying to get people to think more deeply about their management system and how well it's working? Well, I, you know, I mean, I think you have to ask the question, how well is it working? Uh, you know, what's the purpose of it? What's the purpose of the management system, right? I mean, uh, to me, the purpose is to bring people together to have conversations around what are the things that we need to improve and to be able to cascade that up and down the organization so that the CEO knows exactly what the frontline nurse is thinking and vice versa. And so, you know, the 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 catch ball conversations is the you know in my mind is what is important about the management system because the only reason we do any of this stuff is to deliver better care that's the only reason why would we go through all this pain because we want to deliver better care 
So what we ought to be talking about in these conversations and a management system in my mind is just a, a series of conversations from top to bottom and bottom to top. And yes, we've established some targets. We're trying to achieve certain goals. And so part of the conversation has to be around, you know, are we winning or losing? Is it red or green? And if it is red, that's fine. What are we going to do about it, right? What's the process for us to go from red to green? That's the conversation that we need to have. And I think, you know, the more we then as leaders go out and actually listen to what people are telling us, because this is when I was CEO, it's like, I went out to the Gimba where the values created for the patient and I found all kinds of stuff that I didn't know. And you know what? When I came back to the C-suite, we made some major decisions differently and, and resource decisions differently because of what I saw in the emergency room or in the ICU or at the clinic or on the loading dock at the home care unit. That's where I learned what was really going on. And, and, and so going out and having conversations like that and then having a cascading management system so that you don't just have this top down, you know, here you go, guys, go figure this out, you know, uh, make this happen. It's like, that's not how it works. <laughs> that's not how it works. We need to be talking to each other about, you know, what's possible, what's not possible. Why aren't things working? What are your ideas about making things work better? You know, those are the conversations that we need to have. That's great. Well, Dr. Desan, I could talk to you for uh, for hours, and I know you and I have had the pleasure of talking in the past. And you know, I want to recommend to anyone listening uh, y'all's new book, "Becoming the Change." Uh, not only is it a great book, I love the title. I love uh, that it's got to start with me. It's got to start with how I interact with people, uh, with how I show respect, how I lead with humility. And uh, I'm just so thankful for your pioneering work through the years and for you being such an advocate to drive improvement in, in uh, patient care. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thanks. Thank you, Dr. Toussaint. You bet. Thank you. Good luck.